you are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On NFL, the new Locked On NFL. I am your Monday host, Peter Bukowski. I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. And this is the start of our 2020 NFL preview, the start of the 2020 NFL season in earnest. We are going to be doing this all season long and having an absolute blast. It's great to be with you, and I can't wait to go on this ride in what should be a wild NFL season, an unprecedented NFL season. I don't have long here to start the show because we are going to be previewing two divisions today. We're going to be previewing all week, NFC West, AFC West for us today. And this is going to be a little bit of a preview for what we're going to be doing every week on Mondays. The local experts, the biggest stories. So everything coming out of Sunday, we are going to have the local hosts Come in here along with me to break down everything you saw. So if the Rams and the Cowboys in week one have a thriller, we're going to have Sosa or we're going to have Marcus Mosher. One of those guys is going to be in here to talk about it. So it's going to be a great time. Monday is the show to be locked on NFL. Let's start today with the big news from the weekend, though. Jadavion Clowney is headed to Tennessee in what could be a momentous move, not just for the AFC, but for the NFL as a whole. Of course, the Titans were one of the surprise teams last year. They upset the Baltimore Ravens in the divisional round. They get outclassed in the AFC championship by the Kansas City Chiefs. Derrick Henry has a virtuoso season, and Ryan Tannehill has a breakout season, maybe a re-breakout season. He gets the big deal this offseason, and the Titans are a team that looks like they're going to be one of the major regression candidates for the 2020 season. Enter Jadeveon Clowney for a defense that really was not great last year and for everything about the offense that was peaking at the right time. The Titans were 18th by DVOA last year, according to Football Outsiders, 20th in weighted DVOA, and 22nd against the pass. They don't have great cornerbacks. They have really good safeties. They have some fun pieces in their front, but nothing stellar, nothing outstanding, nothing that makes you go, okay, we have to account for this guy. Jeffrey Simmons is on his way, it looks like, to being that. Harold Landry is on his way to being that. But they don't have that front seven guy where you go, if we don't block him, he's going to wreck our game. That is what Jadavion Clowney can be at his best. Is it what he is all the time? No. But it's what he can be, and it's the attention that he draws that can help you free up Harold Landry. It can help you free up your defensive lineman, Jeffrey Simmons, Daquan Jones, Jack Crawford, those guys. And in the AFC where you have to get past Patrick Mahomes and you have to get past Cam Newton potentially, you have to get past Phillip Rivers, Deshaun Watson, you need to be able to rush the passer. Lamar Jackson, you have to be able to have athletic edge players to corral him because even if he's not going to beat you with his arm from the pocket, he can beat you with his legs. And so if you don't have versatile, dynamic athletes on the edge, you have no shot at containing him. 
the Titans didn't really have a guy that you need to worry about as opposing offenses. They were 14th in adjusted sack rate. So they're a middle-of-the-pack defense last year. They got stellar play from their offense. That's what put them in a position to be a game from the Super Bowl. And it was ultimately a defense that couldn't come up with the critical plays against the Chiefs in the AFC title game that cost them a chance at the Super Bowl. And when you have a back like Derrick Henry, when you can do what he does in terms of taking over a game, very few running backs can put their imprint on a game the way Derrick Henry can, can just absolutely take the air out of the ball and say, this is my game, I'm taking it over, tackle me at your own risk. That's what Derrick Henry is. You need a defense to play with that kind of back because the offense is going to be less consistent than it was last year. It's going to be a higher variance offense than it was last year. You're probably not going to get Ryan Tannehill playing at an Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes level of efficiency. You're just probably not going to see that. And, you know, they were sixth in DVOA, third in weighted DVOA, which means at the last couple weeks of the season, they actually had a better weighted offensive DVOA than the Chiefs did. They were playing better than the Chiefs at the end of the year. That's how good they were. And they're probably not going to do that again. I don't think I'm hot taking when I say that. So they have to get some better play from their defense. They need a Dory Jackson and Kevin Byard and, and some of these guys on their defensive backfield. That's where their talented players are. Malcolm Butler, they drafted Christian Fulton. I love that move for them. They bring in Jonathan Joseph. They have some guys to put together here. It's not ready, and Jadavion Clowney can be that linchpin piece for your defense that takes you to the next level. And speaking of taking things to the next level, take your fandom to the next level with Game Pass. This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays. You can see all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle all in one place. I use it every week to break down tape and watch opponents for the upcoming week. NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long, and you can also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. Go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. All right, let's get into our previews, starting with the NFC West. We get the two Super Bowl teams on today's show, the 49ers and the Chiefs. Let's start with the NFC West, one of the hardest divisions to predict in the NFL because it's so deep, it's so tough, and these teams play each other so well. You could see almost any team winning this division, and it wouldn't be a surprise. For more perspective on the defending NFC champs, Brian Peacock, host of Locked On 49ers and 
the host of Peacock and Williamson. Uh, Brian, the 49ers are a team that is coming off what was a, a little bit of a charmed season, a, a huge turnaround from the year before. Their guys stayed healthy. The defense played at an elite level. And already we're seeing some some signs that there's going to be some issues here in terms of the passing game with the injuries. Um, Brandon Ayuk, the rookie, has been dealing with something. Debo Samuel, obviously, with the foot injury. And Jalen Hurd looks like he's going to be out for the season. So is this something where it's going to be the George Kittle show for the first month of the season? How are they going to make this work here? Yeah, and first of all, by the way, I have to say, I know we have to keep this brief, but congrats on the new gig at Lockdown oh, NFL. Thank you. And uh, I hope things go for go well for you there and all the listeners that uh, were listening to us on Locked On NFL. I know they're going to enjoy your work on Mondays and all the other great hosts that are bringing you that stuff uh, on the Locked On NFL Network. I'm excited about this whole a uh, new situation right now going on with our network. But when it comes to the 49ers, yeah, sure. it's the George Kittle show. Like he's the number one guy. He's the heart and soul of really the entire. It's not a bad show. Now. Yeah. He is a locker room guy. He is the sideline cheerleader. He works his butt off and he has fun doing it. And he loves to hit people. Like he's, he, he hit every single <laughs> mark you want a player to hit. And he's underpaid, even though he just was, ended up being paid the highest, uh, uh, high, uh, the, the most the tight ends ever gotten in NFL history. He's still underpaid because he's way more valuable than guys that make his uh, his number, yeah. like you know Adam Thielen, who's a really good player, and Jarvis Landry. Those are great players, but he has a bigger impact than those guys. And he's For the number sure. one receiver in Kyle Shanahan's offense, make plays after the catch and get down the seam. And there might be even more there because uh, he was still a little bit raw and, and mostly athleticism and effort early in his career. He can get better as a pass catcher and as a as a route runner especially. So I think there's more there, and tight end longevity is usually a pretty good thing. So uh, I think he can actually get better as a receiver. Yeah, he just said that he's been studying Devontae Adams' releases. So if he can line up on the outside or in the slot and, and beat cornerbacks off the line, I mean, it's, it's just over for opposing defenses. Uh, I mentioned rookies at the top. This is a team that is going to be trading some veteran players for rookie impact. And and in one case, they literally traded DeForest Buckner. Javon Kinlaw looks like he's going to have to step up there. I mentioned Brandon Ayuk. Are they going to be able to get these guys up to speed in time to, to make a contribution? This is, unfortunately, the worst possible offseason for them to be having to do that. It's crazy. All around the league, the top wide receivers there's such glowing reports in camp and I know there's not a lot of contact in camp so maybe we'll see you know guys are lining up in the wrong places in week one or uh, their release <laughs> off the line of scrimmage and press coverage isn't as good or they yeah. can't run through contact like like maybe uh they looked good in, in practice without that full contact stuff but Brandon Ayuk and, and he's a junior college guy too only had one year of big college football production yeah and the coaches were raving Kyle Shanahan was raving about what he looked like for only about a week of camp no OTAs no offseason and then he had a hamstring injury, and it looks like whenever that hamstring's ready, he's going to be a starter with Debo Samuel. And so they're both still up in the air in week one, but that's the plan. Whenever those guys are healthy, they're going to be on the field and starting, it looks like, which is uh, a real testament to Brandon Ayuk and the work he's put in. But apparently it hasn't hampered rookies around the league as much as I would have expected because, I mean, that's difficult to jump into a Shanahan offense anyway as a rookie. And with this truncated offseason, uh, it's pretty remarkable that Brandon Ayuk's been able to, uh, to put himself in that position. Your receivers coming into the league now, I think, out of college as prepared to play right away as they've ever been. These seven-on-seven camps and, and all of the work that they put in there. Uh, I am wondering about another uh, rookie and, and this whole defense. Javon Kinlaw is going to come in and, and have to play snaps right away on the inside. This defense was historically good last year. There is you know, plenty of case that, that they're going to regress 
But even if they regress from being historically good, they're still going to be a very good defense. How good do you think they can be or are likely to be in 2020? Well, they'll, they'll definitely be taking a step back from DeForest Buckner to the rookie in Javon Kinlaw. And I warned 49ers fans as excited as they were about getting a mid-round draft pick, a defensive tackle, that it wasn't a one-for-one -one switch. First of all, they're different stylistically, but Buckner was a leader. He was making calls on the defensive line, and he played as many snaps as any interior defensive lineman in the NFL. He was an Iron Man in there. So yeah. that's something I cautioned 49ers fans not to expect from Javon Kinlaw. And it sounds like he's coming along even slower, actually, than his first-round counterpart, Brandon Ayuk, which is surprising. And so um, definitely some growing pains there for Kinlaw so far in camp. And Lakin Tomlinson's gotten the best of him. And really, it's more of a, a technique and pad level thing because Javon Kinlaw is a monster. And the way I describe him for people who haven't seen Javon Kinlaw is he's massive. Is he basically has an extra set of legs for arms. And, and he's really <laughs> strong. And he crushed people. He had a highlight reel uh, in college on the interior. But uh, is still a little bit raw and plays a little bit high sometimes. Yeah. And maybe even when he beats his man, he gets a little focused on the guy he's trying to destroy and, and rip out his soul. And the play goes by him. So I think some of those <laughs> things he's going to have to work on a little bit. And it's going to take multiple players and former first-rounder Solomon Thomas and – uh, multiple players to replace DeForest Buckner's production on the inside. But the 49ers have the opportunity actually in some other places to make up for it and maybe be better, like at linebacker with third-year player Fred Warner, who's one of the best young linebackers in the league, and he's just getting better and better. And D Ford's feeling better than he has, at least better than he had last year. He only played about 25% of the snaps. And when D Ford and Nick Bosa are on the field at the same time, that pass rush is so dynamic and so impactful and just helps everybody else out so much so if Ford is on the field more often that'll be huge and I think that's been the biggest key with the 49ers turnaround I mean Garoppolo obviously was hurt in 2018 that was a big factor but adding Nick Bosa and adding D Ford their defense was non-functional without that outside pass rush adding those players last year I think was the biggest factor in that 49ers defensive turnaround and I think they'll be maybe not even if they're not as good I think they can be among the best defenses in the league and that's just fine yeah, even with all the question marks, it's hard for me to to put anyone else above them in the NFC. I still think the road in the conference goes through San Francisco. Brian, I appreciate it. Anytime, Peter. Thank you. So to give us some perspective on the Seattle Seahawks, host of Locked on Seahawks, Corbin Smith joins us now. And Corbin, this is a team that I have to say, out of all the 32 teams in the league, I have the hardest time trying to peg where the Seahawks are going to fall in the hierarchy this year because they lost some key pieces, they added some key pieces, and they won a bunch of close games last year, a historic number, in fact. So what is the case? Make the case for them not regressing. Make the case that they're going to be a playoff team again in 2020. Well, you just normally don't see defenses under Pete Carroll finish in the 20s for scoring, and yet last year's group did finish 22nd. And so my belief, and this is just based off seeing this group at practice at training camp, you add Jamal Adams, who is one of the most versatile safeties that I've ever seen. He's going to help out that pass rush, even if you don't bring back Jadevian Clowney. Benson Mayoa and Bruce Irvin last year combined for 15 sacks with the Raiders and Panthers, respectively. Those two guys have looked really good in camp. So I anticipate with those additions up front, as a whole, they might be better with their pass rush than what they were last year. And then the secondary having a full season with Quandre Diggs as well as Jamal Adams. Quentin Dunbar, kind of the wild card here, whether he's going to be able to take over that right cornerback spot in week one. Trey Flowers is still trying to hold him off. But 
They believe their secondary is going to be much better, and the pass rush as a whole is going to be better. And obviously, they have an outstanding linebacking group led by Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. On the other side of the ball, we know what Russell Wilson is. We know what he's capable of doing. He's he's finally, I think, starting to get the national recognition that he deserves for being one of the best. I mean, for my money, he's the second-best quarterback in the league behind Patrick Mahomes. How can this offense take a step forward if they do? Because this is this is an offense that Pete Carroll has in some ways neutered. I mean, they want to they want to run the ball, they want to play action. But you have Russell Wilson. There's this let Russ cook uh, mantra that's out there among the Seahawks fans. So how can they get better this season? I think it's going to come down to the play calling on early downs. I think Brian Schottenheimer, last year they were better. They they threw the ball more on first down than he did his first year as offensive coordinator. And I think they need to continue evolving in that way. I don't think you're ever going to see a team coached by Pete Carroll that's suddenly going to say, let's throw it 50 times a game. That's right. just not going to happen. And you look at the running backs that they have. Chris Carson, you bring in Carlos Hyde as your backup, who had 1,000 rushing yards last year. DJ Dallas, the rookie out of Miami, has been really impressive, especially as a receiver out of the backfield. They're going to find ways to implement him as well. You've got those couple tight ends that they have. Greg Olson coming in. He looks pretty good still at 35 years of age. Will Disley looks healthy. Can they keep him healthy? That's the big question mark. You're going to bring Josh Gordon back potentially. So they have really equipped. This is the best, in my opinion, the best supporting cast that Russell Wilson has ever had. It's still, like always, going to come down to can the offensive line protect Russell Wilson? You've got three brand new starters in the offensive line. They really like rookie Damian Lewis. Brandon Shell has looked solid in his first training camp with the team. The center position, they signed B.J. Finney to be the new guy. And it looks like Ethan Posick is going to end up being their starter at center. So there's question marks, as always, on the offensive line. If they can protect him and they're a bit more aggressive on early downs throwing the football, then this offense can be a top three, top four offense in the NFL with the weapons that they've given Russell Wilson. Questions along the offensive line and with the play calling. The more things change, the more they stay the same, Corbin. <laughs> Um, I, th one of the reasons that I also can't figure out how to project this team in 2020 is I think the NFC West is going to be really, really, really competitive and good, mm -hmm. but the rest of the Seahawks schedule is pretty soft. So if any team in the West can win nine or 10 games, where does Seattle shake out here? Because as I said, the rest of their schedule is pretty easy. I think this is going to come down to how they do out of division because those six games are going to all be a crapshoot. The Cardinals, I thought, were going to be a sleeper in this division before they traded for DeAndre Hopkins. Right. That's a team that's an upstart <laughs> squad. And then, obviously, the Rams made the Super Bowl just a couple of years ago. They've lost a lot of key pieces, but they've got some intriguing rookies they brought in, still a lot of talent on that roster and the 49ers basically for the most part are the same team and they added a few key pieces Trent Williams coming in is an upgrade over what Staley was at this point at that left tackle position so yeah this is the best division in football if the Seahawks are able to win a large portion of their games out of division and they could even go three and three maybe even four and two in the division then they have a really good chance to get back to that 10 11 12 win mark which that's probably going to be enough to win this division. I think this division could come down to 10 or 11 wins for the top team, and you could have two or three others right around that 9-10 win threshold. It's that good. Yeah, and they have Russell Wilson. 
And so, exactly. you know, that they will always have a chance to compete. We've seen it year after year. A quarterback gets hot in December, January, and all of a sudden a team that you didn't expect to be in the Super Bowl is in the Super Bowl. Russell Wilson, absolutely capable of doing that. Corbin, thanks for the insight. Thanks for having me. The Arizona Cardinals have been one of the teams to watch this offseason. Joining me now, hosts of Locked on Cardinals, Bo Brack and Alex Clancy. Guys, there's a number of big-time storylines around this team. We have to start with one of the biggest surprise moves of this or really any offseason, and that was the Cardinals pulling off the ridiculous David Johnson for DeAndre Hopkins trade. What has been the fallout from that in camp? Does it look like Nuke is going to be a surefire number one option? I mean, what is it looking like this Cardinals team is going to get from this passing offense with DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah, Peter, it was what where were you moment for Arizona Cardinals fans when they pulled off that deal. It was like, oh, we're getting rid of David Johnson's bad contract and we're getting a top three consensus wide receiver. He, the expectations behind Nook is he's going to be the guy he was in Houston, and he might get to turn back the clock with his quarterback. He gets to have another young signal caller who's going to look for him in his progressions uh, each and every play, and those targets are going to continue to be where they were in Houston all those seasons with Deshaun Watson, who was just kind of getting his NFL feet underneath him. Maybe he's going to be better off with uh, – throwing the ball around to different receivers. But here in Arizona, it's going to be wide receiver one, DeAndre Hopkins. And then kind of the that puts Kyler Murray in a position to be a successful second-year signal caller. And it puts wide receivers like Christian Kirk, a third-year guy who's had pretty good seasons in his first two years. He's in a more comfortable position. He doesn't have to go up against the opposing team's best defensive back. And then Larry Fitzgerald at 37 years old, who continues to give a stiff arm to father time, it puts him in a more comfortable (laughs) position to face softer coverage. It just puts the Cardinals offense and players in better positions to be successful. And uh, that's exactly what DeAndre Hopkins and the expectations are for this team in 2020. When speaking of expectations, expectations are sky high for Kyler Murray. He is someone who I think a lot of NFL fans, but also NFL media and and the Cardinals themselves are looking to take another leap forward here. The former number one overall pick, of course. What are your expectations of him this year? And do you think the hype around, you know, maybe taking a leap into that Pro Bowl level echelon is warranted for him this year? So it's a double-edged sword. Uh, I think it's unfair to just anoint him the next in line from Patrick Mahomes to Lamar Jackson to Kyler Murray. If there, that would be the the only stipulation I'd say with the hype that maybe a little bit overblown. I think he's going to take definitely a big step forward when you give a guy with his skill set the toys that he has now. You know, acquiring yeah. Kenyon Drake and him learning the offense through an offseason and DeAndre Hopkins having time, even though it's not the traditional offseason that you would have liked to have with it with Kyler Murray and, and his now number one wide receiver. He has toys. He knows the offense better than anybody on the planet. And that's so important for a guy that is a dual threat. But unlike Lamar Jackson, he is a quarterback who happens to run sometimes. Lamar Jackson has kind of muddied the waters one way or the other uh, with that spectrum. Kyler Murray will take steps forward. His sack total will go down. The only issue that we will always say about Kyler Murray is you hope he doesn't take that blindside hit because he is undersized. Him standing next to Russell Wilson, they may be the same height, but Russell Wilson has tree trunks for legs, and he is way more equipped to be able to take hits that Kyler Murray is not yet in his time. 
So he will take steps forward, and I think they will up their win total. It's just not fair necessarily to put him in line yet with the Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, a second-year MVP candidate. Yeah, we were talking off the air about about this team and and whether or not they can win nine games and that kind of thing. It seems like the defense is going to be the linchpin there. They drafted Isaiah Simmons, a player that was was one of the most exciting draft prospects in the last few years. It's not just is Isaiah Simmons enough to take this team to be a good defense, but with Isaiah Simmons, does this defense have the potential to be good enough? for this team to contend in what is a really hard division in a really deep conference. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you talk about Isaiah Simmons. He goes eighth overall at a Clemson, probably slips that spot for the Cardinals. And it's an easy decision for Steve Kime to make, who said he was consumed with fixing this defense, which was just terrible in 2019. Last in most major statistical pass, you know, categories especially against the pass against tight ends fantasy owners it was comical how they would just stream the opposing tight end no matter who it was against the Cardinals <laughs> and they would be successful 16 touchdowns from opposing tight ends last year but Kime consumed with it not only does he bring in Simmons in the draft but he also adds three key additions through free agency Jordan Phillips brings nine and a half sacks from the Buffalo Bills Devondre Campbell a guy who was in the league leaders in total tackles for the Falcons last year and then you have a guy in Devon Kennard a local product who played for the Detroit Lions who had seven and a half sacks they look to supplement that pass rush that's only been Chandler Jones I mean Chandler Jones has been great he's a player of the defensive player of the year candidate but there's been zero help opposite Chandler Jones the previous couple seasons. Jones had 19 sacks last year. So you add those names with Jones. Patrick Peterson, who looked to knock off the rust at the end of last year, he's playing in a contract this year this year. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of new faces there. There's going to be a lot to mesh right away. It's going to come down on Vance Joseph, this defensive coordinator, who's not been necessarily successful the last couple of years, either as a head coach or a D.C., to turn things around, if they struggle out of the gates, it's going to be on Vance Joseph. That hot, that seat's going to get a little hot early on, but the p- pieces are there for this defense to turn things around enough to where this team can be competitive. Excitement and intrigue. I don't know if Arizona is going to be a great team. I don't know if they're going to be a seven-win team or a nine-win team or a ten-win team or a six-win team, but they're going to be fun to watch. Bo, Alex, I appreciate it, guys. All right, let's get to Sosa Kremenjas, host of Locked on Rams, to talk about what was a disappointing team in 2019. I think that's fair to say. And one of the reasons it was disappointing is we saw this offense take off in 2017. We saw it really hit its stride in 2018 and appear to take a major step back last year. So Sosa, how do they get back to being that team in 2020? Can they? Yeah, I think the first uh, note to make here is that the offensive line simply needs to play better. And that's, I think, the biggest issue with the offense in terms of um, when you compare the 2018 offense, all five offensive linemen started every game together. They all played excellent football. They were one of the best offensive line in football. Um, And, you know, everything stemmed from that. Their running game was very productive. Then they would go off of play action. Everything would work in unison. And that's kind of how this offense works. And so... Um, in 2019, when the Rams kind of transitioned and they lost Roger Saffold to free agency, they cut starting center John Sullivan, and they had to replace these guys with first-year starters and Joe Nopum and Brian Allen, and you know um, things just really went south. And then to double back, I mean, the injuries didn't help, and then the Rams had to kind of shuffle across the offensive line. 
They were trading for guys midseason, plugging them in a week or two later in Austin Corbett. They had rookies, David Edwards and Bobby Evans start. And so um, the offensive line is definitely the key to me. I think Jared Goff is a different quarterback against pressure and when he has a clean pocket. And so, um, you know, I think it's going to start up front. And then as long as they can kind of allow that running game to get productive and be productive again, uh, I think they can kind of stem towards how they were performing in 2018. I want to tie this into Sean McVay because his career has been pretty charmed and he gets to LA and the Rams, they take off and he is the toast of the NFL. We talk about, you know, wartime presidents and and peacetime presidents and the difference there. This is something that happens in sports all the time. Um, coaches are better at, you know, th- when things are going well, some coaches are better at dealing with adversity. We saw McVay get exposed a little bit in that Super Bowl by the Patriots, and I think teams were better equipped to stop them last year. Am I wrong to think that 2020 is is somewhat of a referendum on McVay and this team's ability to respond to adversity? It's going to be a very important season for sure. I think, like you mentioned, you know, uh, in 2018, some teams started to catch on in terms of how the Rams were playing offensively. It was started by the Detroit Lions and then it traveled into the New England Patriots and it kind of just really continued all throughout 2019 with teams kind of, you know, playing like a 5-1 and 6-1 alignment on defense, which didn't allow the Rams to really want to um, run their offensive, uh, their outside zone scheme in their uh, running game. And so that definitely threw a huge wrench in the offensive plans. And you could see it really trickle down and affect the entire offense in terms of the passing offense was no longer as efficient as it was prior uh, the running game simply couldn't produce like it did in prior seasons. And Jared Goff and really wasn't the same quarterback because of it. And once they started to get in bad down and distances, um, things really went off off the rails. And so um, it's going to be very important for Sean McVay to find a way to get that running back and that running game back to their 2018 productivity just because of uh, how much his scheme really relies on the heavy play action fakes and staying in manageable third down distances and and ahead of the chains. Yeah, and they're going to have to do that if they're able to do it without Todd Gurley, who, of course, is no longer with the Rams. One way to make that a little bit easier is to play some better defense. This is a team that features the best, most destructive defensive player in football in Aaron Donald and and one of the best, if not the best, defensive back, at least talent-wise, in the league in Jalen Ramsey. How can they get back to doing what they they did? You know, even last year they they played pretty well, but not nearly as well as they did in 2018. How do they get to be a defense that is worthy of its talent? Yeah, so like you mentioned, they're going to really have to rely on two players in terms of Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and their position groups, really, because I think the Rams are above average in terms of their defensive line, their front three guys. Um, across the board in Michael Brockers, Aaron Donald, and Nashawn Robinson. I think that's a really good unit. It's one of the better units in football. Um, and I think the secondary is very talented as well. And um, there's some unknown players in terms of, you know, probably your average NFL fan might not know. But um, outside of Jalen Ramsey, they have some really good contributors there. And John Johnson at safety and Taylor Rapp at safety and uh, Troy Hill and guys like Darius Williams at cornerback. So um, they're really going to have to rely on these two positional groups because the edge rusher position and the inside lab inside linebacker position are major question marks going forward. We're going to learn a lot about Sean McVay, Jared Goff, and really this whole organization this season, I think. Sosa, thanks for coming on. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Before we get to the AFC West, I want to talk to you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. That's not hyperbole. Trust me, I've tried them all. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and they're adding to their list of these delicious bars, adding names like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, carrot cake. This is their off-season. Their off-season, they go out and they add superstars like Apple Almond Crisp, and that's to an already loaded lineup. German chocolate, peanut butter, salted caramel, double chocolate, toffee almond, peanut butter, brownie. And it sounds delicious, right? Of course, this can't be health food, except it is good for you. Low in sugar, low calorie, high protein, high fiber. These things are legit, especially in quarantine right now where you want something that makes you feel better, that tastes good, but you don't want to feel bad after you've eaten it. Built Bar is the perfect choice. And right now, you can get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On to get $10 off your next order. Use promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Let's get to the reigning world champion, Kansas City Chiefs. And to do that, Ryan Tracy, co-host of Locked On Chiefs and co-host of Locked On NFL. There is a, a sense of calm, I think, about the Kansas City Chiefs heading into the 2020 season. At least that's how it feels on the outside. But one of the things that everyone is excited about is the rookie running back, Clyde Edwards Elaire. It was an intuitive match heading into the draft. The, the Chiefs came out with him. Ryan, is he going to be a perennial all pro or a Hall of Famer? What are we looking at here? <laughs> right, right. Are those the only choices? <laughs> Uh, it's it's really incredible for a team that is coming off of offensive performance like they had in 2019 in order to get that championship. Uh, the deficits they overcame in, in the playoffs, to put that kind of pressure on a young kid right away, he is an incredible fit. Honestly, I, I have him as the best fit for the offense he landed in in probably the last five to six classes. Yeah. So that part's legitimate. But I also do feel that it's a little bit preemptory to say that he's going to make that kind of impact. I've seen all kinds of outlandish predictions. I think he's going to be good for probably around 1,200 yards uh, from scrimmage in 2020. And I think, honestly, a lot of that's going to come in the second half of the season. They have sure. a running back stable that they like. Darrell Williams has played well for them in the past. They trust him in the past pro. I think he's going to get a good mix. There's going to be a lot of sharing early. And then that will drift towards Clyde later in the season. And then sky's the limit after his uh, rookie season. Speaking of rookies, uh, the Chiefs are also relying on a number of them defensively. Lost some things in the secondary. Uh, they're also going to be relying heavily on Willie Gay, uh, their day two pick at linebacker. Uh, because they're linebackers, if there is a weak spot on this team, that is certainly one of them. So defensively, where it seems like they've lost a little bit there, that that's never going to be what they hang their hat on. But they still have to be good enough to win these games in the playoffs. So what are the Chiefs looking for from these guys? Who has to step up for them to, to be good enough to give Patrick Mahomes a chance? Overall, they're looking for continuity from the returners. They feel they're, they're sure. decent up front. They're going to rely on that. Willie Gay is definitely going to be playing a central role, like you said, and what was their weakest point in coverage in that middle section. But they lost a couple of backers. Reggie Ragland, who was kind of their run guy, 
they've lost him. So that's going to relegate Damian Wilson to kind of that role. He was a little stretched in playing in the nickel to begin with. So I think that actually plays to his strengths, allows him to play on on more early downs and lays, allows Willie to just play on third, at least initially. Use his athleticism, and it's about picking up the scheme. And I do see a time where he and Anthony Hitchens will be the two in the nickel. You might even by the end of the season see Willie Gay in there with – what they like to do in their three safety set, bringing Dan Sorensen in, who's a very good size, strong safety, but bringing him into a nickel backer type role. I think that's going to be a nice pairing late in the season. You'll see that in the playoff run as well. But the bigger question mark is going to be in the outside where Rashad Breeland is under suspension for the first four games. And so they're going to have a lot of youth in there. Javarius Ward is going to be their most experienced corner at three seasons. Uh, they're going to have Rashad mm-hmm. Fenton in his second year in the nickel. And rookie Legarius Sneed looks like he's taken that spot and filling in for Bashad early. Now, he has similar length to Bashad Breland, so you like that aspect of him. He was pretty good in college in terms of giving his hand on passes, and he has the long speed. I think that's really where teams are going to look to attack that particular group is with the long speed because while Javarius Ward is good, Fenton is a little bit lacking in that, and they all have decent foot quickness, but nobody's really super explosive in change of direction. So the underneath things, the slot routes, you're going to see a lot of that. I think you're going to also see some mix and match of how they roll those guys out. They have some other intriguing rookies in Bo P. Keys as well as Levert Hill right now uh, that could play roles, but they're looking to use their experience at safety to kind of cover up their lack of experience at corner. Well, and the the one thing that you can you can take if you're a Chiefs fan is – who is challenging them there in the AFC? Because there aren't that many offenses, at least from that perspective, that are really going to scare you. Who is the team that you feel like, okay, yeah, this is gonna this is gonna light that Chiefs defense up? There aren't that many. There really aren't. I think probably the best balanced offense, and and I think everybody in the AFC West outside of the Kansas City Chiefs are working on their quarterback situation. So I think the best offense that's balanced is going to be Denver. Uh, because they have a two-headed monster there at running back, and they have not only speed lengthwise, but at tight end, at the underneath. I think they have a nice core of wide receivers. But not to take anything away from John Gruden and what he's put together in the pass-catching arena and with Josh Jacobs being able to control the ball a little bit, the question just comes back to Derek Carr and Drew Locke. Who can keep up and be able to put up points to try to stay with the Chiefs' offense? The answer is no one, Ryan, and you know that, and we know that, and the Chiefs know that, so I don't know what we're doing here. It, they're they're going to be a blast to watch, and they're one of those teams that I think everyone is just penciling in. Maybe that's fair. Maybe that's unfair. I think it's fair. Sounds like you think it's fair. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. It's great. Let's jump now to the Rockies. Cody Rourke, co-host of Locked on Broncos, is here with us. And I'm so excited for this because one of my favorite storylines of the offseason is the revamped Denver Broncos. I think they're going to be a much more complete team than they were last year. And we have to start here, Cody, with Drew Locke. The Broncos have done a great job of surrounding him with young talent, but that's what it is right now. Are they going to be able to coalesce this quickly with no offseason to the point that they can win some more games and maybe push for a playoff spot this year? Yeah, that's the biggest question, Peter. And I think the one thing when you talk about Drew Locke is he had a, a very impressive 
five-game sample size for the Broncos at the end of 2019. But the question is, they've changed the offense. They brought in Pat Shermer. He's now running the things for Denver. They brought in Mike Shula to help coach up Drew Locke, which I think is great. He's got these polarizing traits to him. He's, he's a very, very profound leader in the locker room, very energetic personality. And that's been something that's motivated the football team. And then you add in all the weapons with Cortland Sutton, the addition of Jerry Judy, KJ Handler in the NFL draft, Tim Patrick, and just the core they have there, Noah Fanta, tight end, Albert Oakwabram. The Broncos have all the weapons, I think, around Drew Locke to really be successful offensively. You know, part of their success is going to be really predicated off of how he plays. But I think the Broncos are going to try to really establish the run with Lindsey and Melvin Gordon to be able to take a little bit of that pressure off of Drew Locke to be the only person that the pressure falls on to succeed. It's got to be a team effort, and that's really where the Broncos approach is offensively with trying to get things going, trying to improve the offense. It only scored 17 points per game in 2019. they got to get that up to about 24.5 points per game in 2020. They have all the pieces around them to be able to make that possible. It's going to come down to execution and, and obviously with the short and the offseason. That's going to be a big question. Will they be able to do that? And, and the offensive pieces were not the only ones added to this team. John Elway and company brought in a number of guys on the defensive side of the ball. Bradley Chubb comes back from injury. You add Jarrell Casey, and now the secondary. You've got Callahan to go with A.J. Boye. Justin Simmons is one of the most underrated players in the league at any position. This defense is, is still going to be part of the identity of this team when you've got Vic Fangio as a coach. How good can they be this year? They have all the writings. When you look at paper, and I, and I hate to say paper projections, but when you look at the paper, you look at the overall rosters, the depth that they have at major positions, they have the potential to be a top five defense in the National Football League in 2020. And I go in and I factor in in 2019. Well, you know, Peter, last year, the Broncos, they ranked number one in the NFL in red zone defense. They were the 10th ranked passing defense in the National Football League in Chris Harris Jr.'s worst season of his career. He's obviously now gone. They brought in Boye, as you mentioned, Callahan is back. Devontae Bosby is more than likely going to be the third outside cornerback, and they got a variety of depth there. Justin Simmons, uh, Kareem Jackson, but then they also, you know, Alexander Johnson is back in the starting lineup. I mean, he was inserted late in the season last year, and he energized their defense at the will linebacker position. Todd Davis back for one final year, at least, looking for a contract extension. You mentioned the return of Bradley Chubb off of an ACL injury. Von Miller, his offseason training has been next level. He's prepared for the season in a different way than ever before. He's bulked up, but he's still just as fast. So he's put on some muscle. I mean, a lot of muscle, which is crazy to say for a guy who's already very muscular. So, you know, those that defense is going to really run based off of the, the pressure that those guys can get. And also, the back end's got to be able to generate takeaways. Last year, the Broncos only had 17 total takeaways in the National Football League. And Peter, you know this as well as I do. You can't have that happen. I mean, there was a game last year against the Packers where Aaron Rodgers had all this time to throw against Denver and he capitalizes. So the Broncos, they got to get consistent pressure and they got to be able to take the ball away, you know, whether it's by, you know, forcing fumbles, whether it's by getting interceptions. They got to get more of that in order to be successful in 2020. And I think that they do have the personnel to be a very, very strong defense. And it's going to be a tough test, obviously, being in the AFC West with Patrick Mahomes and all the weapons that they have. The Broncos have rumored to go a little bit more with the dime look this year to be able to counteract maybe those spread them out uh, high scoring offenses that you see now in the National Football League. And if the Broncos are one of those offenses, we talked about all of the young pieces they have Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Deshaun Hamilton is, is a holdover. They've got Noah Fant. Albert O, if the the Broncos are able to get to where they want to get to offensively, which one of those guys is the guy who pops to make it happen this year? 
It's going to have to be Jerry Judy because we saw the NFL. They took away Cortland Sutton in a lot of situations. Last year, they double cover. They bracketed a safety over the top. Jerry Judy is the one guy that's going to have to perform when teams decide to do that with Cortland Sutton. I think all eyes are going to be on him as a first-round rookie selection, and Jerry Judy is that guy. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I love it. And I'm higher on Drew Locke. I may be higher on the Broncos than a lot of people. So it's, uh, it's going to be a good time. Thanks, Cody. Appreciate it. All right, now let's get to Daniel Wade, one of the hosts of Locked On Chargers. And this is a team going through an enormous change at the most important position on the field. It's hard to believe, Daniel, that we will not see Phillip Rivers under center in a Chargers uniform. We just found out last week it's going to be Tyrod Taylor, not first-round pick Justin Herbert. So in that vein, what can we expect from Tyrod Taylor? And is he good enough, do you think, to take this team to the playoffs in 2020? That's a great question. And I think the one thing the Chargers are going to be relying on is just the fact that in Buffalo, Tyrod Taylor did not turn the ball over very much. A very good touchdown to interception ratio. And I think what they're excited about with him is the mobility, the ability to get him out on the run and what it is going to do for their running game. I think that Two of the three seasons while Tyrod was in Buffalo, they had a top three rushing offense, including over 2,600 rushing yards in 2016 with Anthony Lynn as their offensive coordinator. So I think he's not going to lose them games. I think questions about if he can take your team to a victory, I think all of those things are very valid. We're going to have to wait and see for those, but he's not going to lose you any games and he's going to be able to do enough with the supporting cast around him. I think you have an average offense, but I think... For this team specifically, for them to make a playoff push, it is going to have to be centered around a dominant defense. And and in that vein, their prospects of having a dominant defense got a little bit worse, probably significantly worse, with the announcement that Derwin James is going to miss the entire season. Uh, this is two years in a row now, basically, that he will, will not play. One of the rising stars, a rookie all-pro, one of the best all-around defensive players in the entire league. So where does that leave this Chargers defense? Because as you say, they are going to rely on their defense to win them games. If Derwin James isn't out there, that's a pretty massive hit to your ability to win games. I think it's absolutely devastating. I mean, I don't think there's any two ways around it. I do think that the Chargers boast a pretty deep secondary going into the season, and they were actually questions of how do we get all these guys on the field? Well, unfortunately, you found out the way to get them all on the field that just came at the expense of Derwin James. But to have somebody who is so good at all three levels, can rush the passer, has had many clips in training camp, locking down Keenan Allen, one of the best route runners in the NFL, and what he's able to do getting downhill against running backs and tight ends in space. I mean, they just don't make them like Derwin James. So it's absolutely going to be a huge hit to their defense. But what this is going to allow, though, hopefully is for second round pick in 2019, Nazir Adderley, to get on the field at the back end. I think Rayshon Jenkins, their free safety from last year, will move down to strong safety. And I think there could still be a move there. But the Chargers still boast a talented secondary, but you're just not going to be able to replace all of the things that Derwin James brought to the table. And I think their prospects of becoming, you know, a number one or a top three defense, I think that might be a long shot at this point. But with the talent they still have left over, I do think it's reasonable that they still could be around a top 10 defense with the guys they still have left. So it obviously hurts them a lot. And I think now that actually puts more onus on the Chargers offense to be a little bit better because they might not be able to rely on the defense being that dominant. 
Yeah, that's secondary. They had Chris Harris in the offseason. You already have Casey Hayward. You have Desmond King, one of the best slot corners in the league. They have really two of the best slot corners in the league with, with Chris Harris. So a lot going to be on that secondary shoulder without Derwin James. We can't talk about the Chargers. We already talked about their starting quarterback, but we can't talk about the Chargers without talking about Justin Herbert, their first-round pick. We know that Tyrod is going to be the starter to open the season, but we've also seen this before with T-Mobile where he was the named starter and a high first-round quarterback was sitting behind him. Do you expect to see Justin Herbert at some point and what is reasonable for not just Chargers fans but NFL fans in terms of a time frame before we do see Herbert on the floor? Well, I think if you're looking at a timeline, I think you have to look at the bye week for the Chargers right in the middle of the season for them. That would be a week in which if they wanted to make a change, if the team is struggling, if they are going into it sub 500 at that point, I think they would absolutely have to at least look at making a change because this is a team that thinks that they are trying to contend for a playoff spot. And Anthony Lynn himself, even when saying Tyrod Taylor was the starter, said until someone else steps up. So that seems like a pretty clear message that he's leaving the door open for Justin Herbert. I think they are committed to letting Tyrod Taylor kind of go into this season. And if he keeps them competitive, I think they will keep rolling him out there. But I do think it is a slippery slope. So I think if they struggle, if the team loses early on, I absolutely think that you could see Justin Herbert on the field this season. I hope you don't take this personally, but I am absolutely rooting against the Chargers for the first half of the season because I want to see Justin Herbert. I want to see him play. I want to see him with these receivers. I think long-term, the Chargers have a very bright future because I, I was one of the few who was really in on Herbert as a draft prospect. Something to keep an eye on there. It's going to be fun. I know that. They're a super talented team, and they play in a division with maybe the best team in the league. So it's going to be an uphill battle for them. Daniel, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. No problem at all. So let's bring in the host of Locked on Raiders, your boy Q. And Q, this is an interesting season for the Raiders for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is they're in Las Vegas now. And this is year three with Derek Carr and John Gruden. There are some expectations for this team, despite the fact that they're an extremely young team Are they, in your mind, going to be able to live up to some of those expectations despite relying so heavily on not just rookies, but the new faces on the team, Nick Kwiatkowski, Corey Littleton, and others? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. That's a big question that's been going around Raider Nation and, and, you know, just talking about the team and thinking about the team. Uh, You know, these young guys are going to have to step up. Mike Mayock and company have had a really good draft the last couple seasons, and they've been able to bring in some really good free agents. Like you mentioned, Corey Littleton and Nick Wachowski really to help clean up that defense. That linebacking core was horrendous, and now all of a sudden it's looking good. They also traded the other day over the weekend for Raquan McMillan with the Miami Dolphins. So that linebacking core is completely redone defensively, and that was an area of an issue. You know, it was a major issue. So, uh, yeah, you know, these guys defensively, I'm a little concerned early on in the season because I think it's going to take a little bit longer to gel and get out there and figure out exactly, you know, the scheme. And not the scheme, but just kind of like the the calls and just being on the same page with the guy next to you. I think that's going to take a little bit longer for the defensive side of the ball. But offensively, man, I mean, you got Henry Ruggs. He was the first-round pick, uh, number 12 overall, first wide receiver off the board. Uh, you also got uh, uh, Brian Edwards, who's getting a lot of love uh, by a lot of people that cover the Raiders on the regular, the beat writers that are there at practice. Uh, he, he's getting a lot of love just because he's out there showing out. Tyrell Williams, he was a veteran wide receiver. He went down. 
He's out for the season. Torn labrum, they put him on IR, so he's done. So now there's a potential of having two rookie wide receivers starting, which is not ideal. It's, it's less than ideal, to say, to say the least. But, I mean, it's what the Raiders are facing. And Derek Carr, he's going to have to step up and be a leader in year three under Gruden, like you mentioned. I think that that's going to help. I think that also having a solid offensive line and a solid run game will also help as well. Darren Waller at tight end. I mean, there's a lot of expectations. I think early on you'll see the Raiders probably get into some shootouts. And then at some point defensively, uh, I think the defense will step up and be able to help out. But it's a great question, man. Is the youth going to help them in a major way or is it going to hurt them just because of the unknown, which is they don't know. They haven't been out there. Not, no no, uh, no offseason workouts as far as uh, training camp goes, you know, uh, preseason games and stuff like that. It's, it's going to be it's a big question mark moving forward, but we'll see soon enough. Is this a make or break for Derek Carr? I mean, are we going to see Marcus Mariota if, if Carr doesn't get off to a hot start? Because clearly the Raiders want to put him in a position to succeed with all these young receivers, but in some ways, especially with no offseason cue, it seems like he's being put in a position where he's probably going to fail. I, I don't think so. I think he's I think he's in a position where he should succeed. You know, like I said, year three under Gruden, he, he did well as far as... Well, they certainly think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they do too. And, and, and as they should. You know, he seems like he's got a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder. He has control of the offense. He sounds like and looks like he's trying to be a leader, a big-time leader, which I think is something he needs to do. Uh, he just needs to take that that next step. And again, with a strong run game, like I mentioned, in that offensive line, that helps out in a major way. So if he's able to execute that offense, I think he'll be okay. Honestly, if you're a Raider fan and you see Marcus Mariota out there early in the season and it's for any reason besides a major Derek Carr injury, there's a big-time problem. And even if it is a major <laughs> injury, oh, that's a big-time problem as well. I think Marcus Mariota is a guy who you bring in just in case of emergency break glass, similar to what happened with him last year in Tennessee when they brought in Ryan Tannehill. He just was thinking it up, so they had to make a change. If that happens and Marcus Mariota goes out there, then the season is not what the Raiders and Raider fans expected it to be anyway. So uh, for Raider Nation, they need to keep their uh, fingers crossed that number four stays out there throughout the season. Yeah, speaking of expectations, this is uh, an interesting division because we know what the Chiefs are. Every team after that, the other three teams in the division, have to feel like, hey, we can win it for the Raiders what has to happen? What has to go right for them to be in a position come December to be fighting for a playoff spot? They just have to execute defensively. I mean, really, for them to take the next step, they won seven games in 2019. Uh, for them to, to take that next step and get to nine or maybe even ten wins, they have to play a lot better defensively, and they've got to create turnovers. That's what it's all about. Got to create turnovers and give themselves a couple extra possessions here and there throughout a game to give themselves an opportunity. I mean, it's just it's really that simple. I think the offense will be fine. Gruden tries to, you know, suck the life out of the game a little bit and limit possessions for the other team. But the defense is going to have to step up and make a couple plays here and there. They've got to be better than 26 in the league. Can't give up 20, uh, what, 29 points a game. You just can't do that. It's got to be better. It's got to be done defensively. That's why you saw a lot of money being spent defensively in free agency. And you saw a lot of draft picks. Uh, by by way of defense for the Raiders as well. That Paul Gunther-led defense has got to be better. They brought in Rod Marinelli. Uh, he's going to be a, a key factor for that defensive line. It all, it kind of, in my opinion, it ends. It starts with the offense early in the season, but it really ends defensively late in the season. That's where it's going to have to be a better factor for them to, to take that next step and, and even compete for maybe a wild card spot. Yeah, don't give up perfect passer ratings to opposing no. quarterbacks. That would be a good start. Uh, a, a lot on the shoulders of Derek Carr, John Gruden, probably not in on the hot seat yet, but Derek Carr could be if he struggles. Q, this was great. I appreciate it, man. 
Absolutely. Uh, we'll see what happens with the season. I'm excited for another uh, another year of football. See what happens in the NFL, man. Thanks for hanging out today. We're going to be back on Monday. And, of course, Locked on NFL is going to be back tomorrow. Ross Jackson and Luke Braun, two of my favorites on the Locked on Podcast Network, are going to take you on Tuesdays. You will be in very good hands talking fantasy football, getting your lineup set for week one and every week over the 2020 season and beyond. Remember, follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast and all of the NFL shows on the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On NFL Pods. And always stay Locked On NFL.